For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yo! Welcome into the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. I wanted to uh, say, before we get to today's episode, which I'm so excited for you to hear from Evan Altman, but before I get into our interview, I wanted to say thank you for the way that you responded to the Mini Minoso episode. It's great. Like, it's nice when I actually can do something that is. I, I really enjoy doing that episode. I really enjoy talking with Charlie. And I'm so happy. I was telling my parents about this because my dad, he was a, a mini Minoso fan. And so he was really excited when he saw that mini was up for the Hall of Fame and he wasn't sure that he was going to get in. And so it crosses generations, like everything that it crosses generations, it crosses cultural lines. And I was really impressed by how many people wanted to get Minnie Minoso into the Hall of Fame. Like, I thought it was dope, honestly. Like, I thought it was really great that so many people went out of their way to, to learn about the man, to learn about his career, and then champion his cause. And it's rare when you find something like that that so many different people can get down with. And and whether it was people who listen to the radio show, because this happens every now and again where a subject will come up on the radio show and people be like, I didn't know about blank. And I love when we can bring something to the attention of people who didn't know. And I'm using the term ignorance, but I'm not using it as a pejorative. I'm I'm using it as it's something that sometimes happens where people don't know what they don't know. And so to see people react to the Minnie Minoso episode and his career overall, I I think it's great. And I think the the family would be really appreciative of that too. So it was a good week. It was a, a good week for House of L, and and I'm glad. And if you missed the episode, it's just a few episodes back. Go listen to it while you're listening to Sports Adjacent and everything else we do, the, the Bears pod, all of that stuff that's inside of what it is that we do. But I wanted to thank you sincerely for really, really buying in and, and trying to learn something, and then once you learned it, going out and being a champion for it. That's very cool. When it comes to Evan Altman, you ever meet someone and you've just vibe with them 
And it doesn't make sense because you're not from similar backgrounds or places. That's me and Evan Altman. We've really, I think we've only been in the room maybe together twice. Like, Cubs convention, and I think he came to the studio once. But I feel like he's like a friend. And it's very strange how, like, this job and the connections that we have, like, the really good parts of social media are when you see like-minded people or people who make you think or people you go, man, you know, this person deserves more platform because they're insightful and smart and interesting. And that's kind of how I feel about Evan Altman. I feel like he's a kindred spirit in a way. And I just dig his whole vibe, man. Like, it's a really good vibe that he has. If you don't know Evan, he runs Cubs Insider, and we get into how he got to that point, like how he started Cubs Insider and why it was important to him and all of that stuff. But, you know, we connect on the Wu-Tang thing, too. Like He's probably even more into it than I am. His whole Wu-Tang thing and him, the story of his origins as a Wu-Tang fan is amazing. He lives it, man. He is straight up 36 Chambers. You know what I'm saying? He is in it. And I was like, man, I, I can't believe that I hadn't had him on yet. Like that was It was a strange thing to me that he hadn't been on the podcast yet. You should check out what he does with CubsInsider.com. For real. If you're a Cubs fan, you should be checking that site every day. They give you really cool content. They Whether it's written word or the podcast that they do, the rant live, which is great. I've been on it. I, I really enjoy it. I love, I love the success story that came from this. Like there's, I have a passion about a subject. Let me then work on becoming an expert on the subject. And then let me share it with people. And, and people appreciate it. I, I'm sure it was probably, it's probably Julie DeCaro, maybe at Cubs convention that brought Evan to my attention. And I thank her for that. Like, he's he's been wonderful. Like, just to check out his style and on top of that, to see the continued growth that his site and the things that he wants to accomplish have has been really, really cool. You're going to dig this dude. If you don't know much about him, you're going to dig him. But this is a guy growing up in the middle of Indiana, literally on a combine, like on a tractor, and falling in love with baseball in the most romantic way. So check this episode out. That's where we start. Me and the man himself, Evan Altman. Wu-Tang! It's maybe low-hanging fruit, but, the I mean, the 84 Cubs, right? So I was... I was five years old that summer. Um, I grew up on a farm, right? So, and I, and I mean, like, literally, like, we were farmers. I mean, that's what my, my grandfather did. That's what my dad did. You know, my dad didn't go to college until he was 30. Is this, I mean, in, is what, this in Indiana? 
Yeah, Northwest Indiana, um, North Judson, uh, Stark and Pulaski County. Pulaski in, in Northwest Indiana, we call it Pulaski. Y'all in Chicago would call it Pulaski. Um, you know, with country bumpkins, we do not know how to pronounce things appropriately. So um, literally the middle of nowhere, right? When we moved to town, the town had 1,500 people. So we were out in nothing. And we got, we didn't have cable. So we got like four television stations, right? We got WGN naturally uh we got some stations out of south bend that's what i was gonna say you probably got a station or two out of south bend wndu wsbt uh i think uh and it was a big it was a big deal when i think was it the cbs affiliate uh wanted to carry fox when fox started getting football games it was like the biggest thing ever when they switched over to fox to be a fox affiliate like that was wild stuff man back in the day um got the south bend tribune uh with with uh my hometown boy david hall getting the getting notre dame beat right so that was a big deal uh so this would have been actually so 84 david only would have been like a sophomore in high school so i was watching him play football and basketball but anyway um grew up on a farm and you know so kindergarten whatever during the summers i was with my dad on on a tractor or a combine or, or my grandfather or we were sitting at my grandpa's house uh watching television and again at that point no lights you had nothing to do with myself and my brother who's a couple years younger. Um, if you only had those stations, you had either soaps or you had the Cubs. Right. That was it. And and they were Cubs fans. You know, my dad and my grandpa, so a game would be on in the, in the combine. And so that's just what we grew up with. Like, that was uh, – and, and it was like I remember, you know, hearing Go Cubs go on the radio when it was new. Like, now, you know, we all kind of make fun of it, and it comes back around. But, like, that, I remember that being a new song. And it'd be like, oh, this is neat. You know, it's a catchy little jingle. Um, and so it was just, it was a, it was a weird time, but, uh, but it just, again, it became so much of the fabric of like how I related to, um, you know, the other men in my family and my brother and I really grew up on that at that time. And so it was just a big deal for us, you know, and the, and the Cubs and everybody that 84 team, you know, again, prior to obviously the more recent success, you know, that was the first Cubs team in such a long time to have made the playoffs to give some exciting baseball, you know, Ryan Sandberg coming up being, the MVP and any he, he actually like if you look at at older pictures of my dad they looked similar and so I think for me like and so there was there were all these things that just that associated that I associated with with family with with my dad with my grandfather and and uh you know my my dad's pretty cool right so if he ends up listening to this I don't want him to get a big head about it but but his dad <laughs> was like the coolest person ever my grandpa and so that was like, and, um, you know, may he rest in peace. He's been gone for a few years now, but he would like, I looked up to him as much as anybody ever in my life. And so to kind of have that connection all the way through, and it's, it's been there that whole time then. And so I think for me, it was so much bigger than just baseball and, and, and it, you know, it just got associated with the Cubs pretty, uh, pretty thoroughly. And early, I think early on, it was like a little more generic. So, you know, the White Sox were pretty cool. You know, and we'd see them. We'd go up to games up there because it was a lot closer for us and a lot cheaper uh, to go there and, and to see the Sox, especially like in Little League. But, um, yeah, it was just a big deal, man. It was it was great. And uh, that's that was a way for us every summer. Like, what else were you going to do? You know what I mean? Like, you're a kid. You're out in the middle of nowhere. Your buddies might come over every once in a while. But for the most part, it was my brother and I hanging out around uh, each other a lot, you know. And so uh, getting a chance to do that or, or to while away the afternoons, Again, it was like, uh, you know, uh, like good times and different strokes and what's happening. And then the Cubs, 
like in that order. You're right. Like every, like every day. It's like that's that was WGN and that's that's what we watched, which is really kind of interesting because it was great. Like as a little kid in my environment, uh, that was by far like watching watching television before the Cubs was also like by far the most diversity that was in my life at the time. Um, because you know, again, I grew up in just this tiny little town. So it was, it was really kind of wild. Like, as I look back on it now, how television, when I was like between five and 10 kind of shaped so much of my life, whether it was just the television shows or baseball or whatever, because you know, it was like every from, from 10 in the morning until whatever, four o'clock in the afternoon, I was just glued to the television or, or listening to the radio. Like that was it every day. And it was, uh, it was, it was pretty cool. And occasionally we'd go outside and actually play i don't want to make it sound like i just sat on my ass like every day that's gonna um but you know we'd go out throw the ball around and that's what we did you'd imitate those players you know and you just grew up it was like i just remember i thought manny trio was terrible because he wasn't very good when i remember seeing it but then i look back and say like, holy cow like manny trio was actually a really good baseball player but it is funny like the little things like goose gossage i thought he was the worst player ever i thought that guy was terrible because i remember seeing him getting bombed for the cubs a couple times it's like oh this guy's his personal views aside, he was actually a really good pitcher, you know? Um, but I can remember back to those things. It's funny in childhood how those little experiences or these these things that you take that are really just a microcosm end up being, you know, what you, you associate with later on mm-hmm. and how much bigger they seem later when at the time, uh, <laughs> some of it maybe wasn't so accurate, but uh, but some of those things become really foundational as well. So I don't know. It's uh, that it, it bit me pretty hard and it, it just kind of, stuck around the other thing that i think that you're making clear is when we talk about now inside of the social media age the level of connection that people have via twitter instagram tiktok whatever you're talking about literally being isolated and having that connection to something how important do you think that that was for you just as a developing human being it, it was definitely so, you know, it, it was such a different deal. And I can even go back to um, it, little things like I, I could think this is kind of off that and I'll get back around to it a little bit. But uh, my brother's left handed, like legitimately left handed. And I'm naturally more right handed. But growing up and again, you know, farmers, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a, a lot of stuff. You know, my mom was a nurse. It worked all the time. Again, my dad was a farmer. And we, we didn't have a whole lot of free time for just extra stuff. And so we had a baseball glove and we had a left-handed glove. And my brother and I would share it. Um, and I would, I, you know, I grew up batting left-handed and kind of kind of throwing left-handed until that that sort of changed. Because it was just, it was for the most part, me and him. And I have a younger sister. Uh, she's five years younger than me, but it was mostly my brother and I. And we'd have our buddies come out, you know, but but you didn't, when it was after school, it's not like you hung out with the neighborhood kids. You know, um, I had some cousins, they moved away to, to Jersey when I was like five or six. And so there were no other kids within three miles at most. I mean, we had wow. we had neighbors across the way. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, it was like my, my grandfather lived about like three or four miles away. Um, so my bus route, like our school district was was enormous. I mean, the school district runs for about 10 miles in any direction. And we still had 500 kids in high school. Right. It, it is it is a massive geo- geographically speaking. It's it's huge. You go to Chicago and go 10 miles in any direction and put all those kids in a school and you're going to have, you know, I don't know how many thousands. You know, my daughter's high school has 3000 people in it. But um, so but it took me an hour to get to school on the bus living 10 miles away. 
just because you had to go through all over the place to pick up these kids, right? So I think it, it, it we established kind of a, kind of like what you're talking about in, in social media where you could be friends with someone who you've never met. I just saw a story, you know, somebody got married or something that they, they've never even met, you know, uh, in person. Like they met each other at some point during the pandemic online. You see a lot of relationships start that way now, but I have a lot of friends and uh, who, who I've made connections with, you know, mostly because of the Cubs thing, but whether it be through Twitter, Facebook, whatever, having, you know, the blog and, and people read it and then you kind of get to know them elsewhere uh, otherwise. But yeah, it was really odd growing up. I think we, we found these kind of relationships to people um, who you'd see on television, whether, whether it be, um, you know, the news anchors like the WGN uh, midday news or whatever. And, and growing up, seeing those like, man, Dan Roan. Man, I saw Dan Roan at the WGN studios one time when I went in there, and it was like, I didn't, I, I did, I just stared at him, like I didn't, I couldn't see anything. I was like, that's Dan Roan, like, because I still, again, I still related to seeing him as if when I was a child and watching him in his wacky shirt, uh, you know, do the breakdown of Andre Dawson throwing bats out onto the field and stuff. I'm like that, and 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 like, you know, I, I look back at those television shows that I would watch, and and like seeing those people like those were kind of my friends for that time of day you know what I mean or, or Harry Carey and Steve Stone and guys like that and and you would just have this kind of weird relationship not weird but it's because that's who we kind of related to outside of being you know your friends at school or your brother or whatever that was somebody a little bit different and so it was kind of I guess looking at it, I've never really thought about it this way but I think looking back on it that has sort of shaped a little bit of like, and maybe, maybe sometimes it's in a, you know, I, I think sometimes people talk about, you know, Twitter and Facebook as sort of getting us to not interact with one another, but in a way, I, I don't know, I, I guess we've kind of, I sort of always felt like that, but it was a little weird. And then when we finally did move to town, I was like 10 years old. And then there were kids around, you know, and then we could go just after school or during the summers and we'd, you know, play around and, and, uh, you know, play wiffle ball or, uh, play basketball, football in the backyard, and it was it was very very different for us at that point to then be able to kind of relate on a on a different level. But for those first ten years, you wanted to go see somebody, you'd have to get on your bike and ride like several miles, you know what I mean, to go hang out with somebody outside of unless your their parents were bringing them over. But it's like <laughs> you got to get your parents. To think, ah, it's going to take us. You know, we got to drive fifteen miles out in the country to go see your friends. Like, sorry, nah, that's it's not going to work. Like, I couldn't play little league baseball for a long time or the, the early year, because my dad was like, I'm not, I'm not driving you out there. Like it was the, the, the coach pitch stuff. He was like, I'm not driving you back and forth for practices and for those games. It's not, no, we're not doing that. So, you know, I had to wait till I was like 10 or 11 years old and we lived in town before I could start doing that, uh, playing sports and stuff really, because other than basketball, basketball, we could do, my dad would drive us. Yeah. He would definitely sacrifice for basketball. It's a little bit different. It was Indiana. You know, we literally had the, the corn crib with the basketball hoops in it, like inside, and then the, the dirt court with the hoop on the barn, like the stereotypical stuff you hear about Indiana. And we had the the little one for when we were younger, and then we had the other. So I mean, it was a little just a decrepit corn crib that wasn't good for anything else, except it had two hoops in it with a concrete floor that you could shoot when it was cold or snowy or rainy or whatever. So, um, but yeah, that that definitely shaped I think a lot. And, and to this day, man, I am uh, I'm not big on like big group settings or, or like lots of people and stuff. And I'm much more comfortable if I'm in a, if I'm in a group setting at all, like hanging back and just sort of watching 
and and letting the the flow kind of i'm not i'm not big on jumping into that stuff i just kind of take it easy and and let the i let the action kind of <laughs> come to me for the most part what's your the moment where you feel cubs heartbreak for the first time where you can you can understand it and process the heartbreak is it 89 I, I still don't even think because I was still in like ten, and I don't know. I mean, a lot of people I think probably could have could have better understood that. I mean, for me, ninety eight, it had to be, and ninety eight wasn't even so much the heartbreak because I knew they were going to get beat by the Braves, but I but I do I think ninety eight that was the first time because I was uh, I was a sophomore in college, and I I don't think up to that point i had never been not that they had given me much to be excited about but like having like and to, to well maybe maybe, still, maybe it's not a game maybe it's maddox leaving that yeah i i would say if if i had to go back and look at that or when when ryan sandberg retired the first time mm. so abruptly um because that was again to that point that was my hero so i would say that if i look back on that way because it was just like wait, wait, what? Like he's, that's Rhino. Like he's, he, he was the Cubs to me. The, the Maddox thing was, was pretty big too, but for Sandberg to have done that, you know, as abrupt, like in the middle of a contract, it wasn't like things were, were done. And he had, you know, when he was at the time he signed the deal was the, the, the biggest contract ever in the history of major league. He was making $7 million. I remember <laughs> his contract ever. Um, I've actually got that, that, uh, sports illustrated signed by him behind me somewhere. Um, but but I and, I and I remember seeing that and, and that that stuff happening. But I think yeah, probably those. And then I would say you know, and then it just the 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 most dead I've ever felt inside was you know again when they when they lost to uh, to the Marlins and and just because I remember thinking like this is this is the team they got it we got it and I just there's nothing like uh, that was the other times were just like this is weird and you and you kind of felt heartbroken as a kid. But then as an adult, the first time was yeah when they lost in the NLCS. And and I was watching it with some buddies and stuff, and I just like none of us spoke. Nobody nobody said a word. A buddy went into the kitchen and tossed the plate in the sink and broke it, and uh, and I just left. I just left the house and didn't. None none of us spoke. So I think that was probably the worst I felt. But I wasn't really heartbroken. So Sandberg, I think, kind of. And then when he came back, it was it was pretty cool. So I felt better about that. It's so weird that the the Marlin series is is like a career transitional period for me. Because it's the moment that I go from producing. I'm in the transition of going from producing to going to reporting. And so one of my first jobs before I officially left the Murph and Fred show was I had to go guest book at Wrigley. And I remember, this is like one of my favorite stories. I talked with Jack McKeon. And I said to him, because the score had a decent relationship with Jack McKeon. I can't remember why, but we did. And I said to him, you know, we'd love to get you on, Jack, for a couple minutes. No big deal. I'm in there with a brick phone trying to, to get Jack <laughs> McKeon to, to come on the score. He said, yes, I'm hanging out in the Marlins dugout waiting for Jack because he said, look, you know, I'm going to I'm going to I got some things to do. I'm going to come out. We'll do this. You know, have those guys ready to go. I was like, no problem. Marlins PR comes up to me. He's like, well, what are you doing here? I said, Here's my credential. You know, I'm Lawrence Holmes from the score. Jack McKeon's going to come on and, and do a couple minutes with us. And they, like, 
no, who did you clear this with? And blah, 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 blah. I was like, well, I cleared it with Jack. So, you know. <laughs> and they're like, well, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I was like, oh, okay. So I just stayed there. Jack comes out. He's got his, his cigar. He goes, kid, you ready to do this? And I said, uh, yeah, absolutely. I got him <laughs> on the phone. He, and he did like 10 minutes. And it was great. And then he talked to me for another five minutes after that. And it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. And I'm just sitting there going, why in the world would the Marlins not want this guy doing as much stuff as possible? He's incredible. It was such a strange thing, man. And, and it was like after game six, I was producing, like I was on the phone with a Batacola because we were working together at the time. I was EP, he was on the board. And when the incident happens, he's like, oh, no. He's like, oh, no, because he's a huge Cubs fan. And then at one point, he's like, I got to get off the phone. Like, I can't process this <laughs> right now. So he got off the phone, and then the next morning was one of the worst days I've ever had as a producer at the score. And I was, you know, I was one foot out the door, man. Like, I was getting ready right. to start my new job. I was getting ready to start covering the Bears full time. And the types of phone calls I had to field that day were unimaginable. And that's relative to, I can't even imagine, like, relative to the industry. If it's bad, I've been, listen, I've been in studio there. I, I guess hosted a show. I've seen the text line. If you're saying that it was unimaginably bad, I can't even, because that, that's like saying, man, the takes on Facebook are awful today. Yeah. Like, <laughs> abnormally bad. <laughs> like, that's a whole new, like, we have reached the ninth level of hell, and we're going to have Elon Musk drill us a car tunnel <laughs> to the 10th level and then cruise, you know, a little bit deeper. Yeah, that's what it was like. It was uh it was a thing, like for sure. It was a thing. And the the next couple of days, as you can imagine, were really, really rough for and it was just bizarre. Like all of it was just a really bizarre thing. And I, you know, I'm a White Sox fan, but I grew up, my two favorite players were Carlton Fisk and Ryan Sandberg. Like, I wanted to be Rhino. Like I wanted to be that as a kid. Well, I, I played in Jackie Robinson West, and the coach was like, because I was a little chubby kid, he's like, chubby kids don't play second base? I was like, what do you mean chubby kids don't play second base? He's like, chubby kids catch and bat forth. And I was like, great, great. Luckily, I actually have, you know, I ended up loving the position of catcher, but Rhino was my dude. And you're, I, I remember that contract and him being the first athlete to get $7 million a year. And what that looked like and how great of a player he was, man. He was he was spectacular. I, I talk to people all the time. Like, you know, Rhino wasn't a spectacular second baseman. He didn't dive. Like, he didn't have to. Like, because he got there. He had enough right. length to get to the ball. He didn't have to go diving around to go get it. Yeah, and I think, you know, it, it was just, he was so consistent. And just everything seemed, it, it wasn't effortless to the level of, like a Michael Jordan, you know, making all, you know, and which, which is always 
I don't want to take this too far afield and go the other way, but the thing about Jordan, everybody talks about the dunks, but you watch a highlight film with Jordan and watch the reverse layups mm-hmm. and watch the awareness that he had and the English that he could put on the ball. And, and I feel, but speaking of which too, like how blessed would we have, were we to have come up in an era where Chicago sports had Walter Payton, Michael Jordan, and Ryan Sandberg, you have these three iconic, I mean, I grew up, you know, so it's like, okay, the, the Bears and the Bull, and I, I'm not a Bulls fan, which is really weird because I'm a, I'm a, you know, a big Bears fan, obviously a huge Cubs fan, but then everybody else is a, a Bulls fan, and so I'm a Pacers fan, um, but I don't know why, but it was just, we're so spoiled, and then I look back at that, and I'm like, man, just, and, and, and you know, I, I wanted to be Ryan Sandberg. I mean, that's, that's part of, you know, my son's name is Ryan and I, I wanted to play, I was maybe not chubby enough to have been moved off the position. So I got to play second base when I was a kid and, and I couldn't get number 23 because it just, here's, you know, here's number, you don't get to pick it, but I had number six, which I was cool because that's two times three and that's six. I'm also and, a six, uh, by the way, there you go. I'm a lifetime six. Nice. I was, I was going to say, I would have, you know, I would have scored you at least an eight or nine. Six is cool. That's fine. That's above a five. That's fine. But I had, I remember, you know, when, uh, God, how embarrassing our hair was back then. Right. But I had a Roman numeral six cut in the back of my hair. Right. You can't do like, you can't do an actual six. That's too difficult for like a small town barber. I'm not trying to get this guy like, I'm not getting lined up by somebody who knows what they're doing with that. So I was like, Hey man, this is straight lines, baby. It's a V and an I we can do that. So yeah, I had, a, I had my, my, my Jersey number in Roman numerals in the back of my hair and like probably three lines on the side, you know, like vanilla ice or something. God, it was, emb- I'm glad there, I don't think there's any pictures of that. Dude, so. you got to find those pictures. If there are oh. those pictures, you got to find them. I can't even imagine like, I don't know if I think my parents probably just dropped me off. Well, actually, I could walk, man. I could walk to the barber back then. Curly's, man, Curly's Barbershop. And it had like every single clipping of every, you know, fish he had caught. And then all the different sectional championships from all the basketball teams. And you'd go in there and he had the little pop thing with the little, you know, you could pop the tab on it right there. It's like 25 cents for a can of RC or a, a bottle of RC Cola or whatever. Yeah, I, I think Curly, man, I don't know if he knew I had to explain what I wanted. And, uh, I, you know, it was in the back, so I still don't really remember if I saw what it looked like, but I, <laughs> my parents probably thought I lost my mind, but I'm glad they weren't there when I got it done, but God bless them. They let me do that dumb stuff and <laughs> let me look back on it now. And I, 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 you know, it's funny too. Now being a parent, I'm like, God, they were right about some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they were not as dumb as what I thought they were. So. So I, I have to remind my son all the time that he'll eventually he'll think I'm I'm pretty smart, but for the time being I'm the dummy. So what what do you think are the like the best lessons that you've learned from your parents? Whew. You know I think there was, uh, and if I go if I even extend that out like even to my grandparents and I'll, I'll look at a few things. Although the 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 one piece of advice I can remember from my my other grandfather who was that he was a circuit court judge for 29 years. Um, and, and I, I learned a lot about like kind of the, the concept of the law uh, as a, you know, more than just what's written down and that sort of thing. But I, I remember the only piece of advice he ever gave me was don't blow your nose too hard. Cause you might get an abscess. Um, oddly enough, I don't know why that's the only thing I remember that he told me because it's not <laughs> actually worthwhile. Um, but uh no, I think um, 
the value as as kind of corny and trite as it sounds just the the value of hard work like i said i mean my parents got married when they were 19 years old um my my mother was a freshman at at uh at butler and my dad was driving down to see her. i mean they were best friends growing up um you know in this in this tiny little town both of their families had moved there when they were about two and uh and he proposes she quit butler and went to purdue north central uh which i forget what it is now it's still Purdue something purdue it's, northwest it's right yeah, it's Purdue Northwest. That's right. They changed it um, when it was, and it, it was a. So she went there and got a nursing degree, and so she was. I mean, she was working nights. Um, you know, he was a farmer, and the fact that they scrapped and did all they didn't. They didn't have kids, so they were like twenty four. So at least they had kind of built some of that stuff. But like, I never had a whole lot of stuff growing up. You know what I mean? And they they busted their asses, and my dad quit farming, went back to school. So we were a single income family. My dad was in college. Uh, working through became a teacher when he was 30 uh, quit that because his he was mowing yards for old ladies on the side and that became more lucrative than teaching wow and and then that's what I was doing which is partially speaks to how little teachers make but then you know you start getting contracts like mow the school and mow these cemeteries and churches and stuff and you can do okay and so that's what we did so I went from farming with my dad to then mowing yards and picking up leaves with him and and it was about you know that that was that hard work. And it was like, all right, if you're not, you can play sports. It's like, you're either playing a sport. If you're not playing a sport or involved in an extracurricular activity, you're with me riding a mower, you know, one or the other. So that, that's what I was, as soon as I was heavy enough to weigh down the seat on our riding mower to where it, it, you know, allowed the, uh, the safety to not kick off was about 10 years old. I was mowing our yard, you know, like that's what you're going to do. Um, and and you're going to go work. And so, I think that was part of it, man. It's just, like I said, you grow up in that and, uh, and no, no, there's nothing ever flashy. So I, I haven't really, I, I haven't really abided by that quite as well. I think there, there's part of me that's like, I didn't get to have, man, I, I, I had one pair of J's ever growing up. So now I've got like a few more. So I will, my wife, you know, Did you get another pair of shoes, you know? So like, now I'm like going through this. I didn't get to have this when I was a kid. So now I'm having a little bit more. So maybe I didn't apply their lessons as well as, as what I maybe could have being a little bit more frugal, but I think the hard work and understanding that like, there's a lot of sacrifice that, that you do for your family. I know there's a lot of things that they set aside and, and, and I still, to this day, man, it wasn't like something I learned, but my son and I went to see Ghostbusters Afterlife and uh, the other day, and the original Ghostbusters was the first movie I can remember seeing in the theater again, like that 84, right? When you're like five years old. So for me, growing up when I did, where I did, going to the movie theater was an event, like mm-hmm. capital letters, event. That was a big deal. I mean, I can remember almost every movie that we went to. We didn't have one in town. We had to drive to another town, which was even further away. And again, to go to show you how much in the country we were, the town that was farther away was our address, Winnemac, Indiana. Our address was Winnemac, but it was like, 12 miles away and North Johnson was 10 miles away. So, and I went to school in North Johnson. It was a weird, weird deal. Um, so that, I think that was part of it too. Those little things from childhood that you think about. So to this day, even though we go all the time, when I go to a movie theater, like that is a thing for me. Like I get that. So I'm about, man, I about broke down. Like I'm watching, I'm watching Ghostbusters in the theater with my son now, you know, almost 40 years later. So little things like that, that I just kind of, kind of stick with me even if they weren't really advice per se 
Do you remember when you got the chance to go to Wrigley for the first time, or were you too young to really remember it? Um, we we went so infrequently. I mean, I remember a few different bits and pieces. Uh, again, that was one of those things. Like, you know, my my dad was just such a it, like. First of all, well, when do you, when do you play baseball? Well, the spring, the summer, and the fall. Well, guess what? You got to plant. You got to, you got to maintain it and then you got to harvest. And so there were so few times that we would have ever had that we could have gone up there. Um, I do remember a few times going up. Uh, the one time I really remember, like the one that sticks out as much as anything. And I can remember the, I can remember one time clearly going up to see the Sox. Uh, but this, I, was, I would have been about 12, but it was, uh, they were playing the Mariners. And so it was Ken Griffey Jr. Randy Johnson pitched. Bo Jackson was playing for the White Sox. So there's another like iconic uh, guy that I remember going to see that be like, oh, it's Bo Jackson, you know. Um, but no, I remember going up to a night game. It was either in – Mike Harkey was pitching and they were playing the Phillies. So I do remember – because Harkey was like my favorite at the time, at least among the pitchers, you know, and for, for having, you know, fairly short-lived. But that was, a, that was a cool experience because we got to go up to a night game and we went with my grandparents and we stayed downtown at a hotel – and we rode the train. I mean, that like that was, you know, so that was a big deal is to stay because normally we would, we would drive up and, you know, we'd go up there and we'd uh, or we sometimes we do the bus trips like, uh, you know, our church would organize a, the bus trip and, and you'd go up and take that up there and they'd drop you off up by Graceland or whatever. And then he'd walk down and, uh, you know, and, and at the time, I think it's just like we, we never had, man, that was about an hour and a half, two hours to drive up there. And so, you know, you think about this, hey, that's a full day. Sure. There were rarely times when you had, if it was nice weather, we didn't have a full day, you know, and, and that was expensive. But I do, the, the one the one thing I'll say this too, the, the one, and, and I remember I've never been more perplexed and, and angry at my father. And for no reason, I shouldn't really have been angry, but it was like, so back in the day, uh, so we go up there and Andre Dawson was, was playing for him. So this, I guess this would have been in, what I mean, late eighties somewhere. Um, and, and Andre, if there were games when the Cubs were either getting blown out or, or they were, uh, they were blowing the other team out for whatever reason, like he'd, he'd come out of the game, you know, and, and ice up his knees and he'd leave early. So my dad goes out to grab some pizza and we were seated along the third baseline, you know, the Cubs clubhouse opened up onto the mezzanine out there. So my dad goes out there and as he's coming back with his pizza, Andre Dawson walks out and my dad bumps into Andre Dawson, like talks, to the hawk he's like hey and, and he comes back he's like oh hey and he tells us he's like did you get his autograph did you he's like no i just like, you talked to andre dawson you didn't get his autograph like, nothing there was you would and uh and and so it was just like the but but that was like what you know you never see that now in the middle of a game but that was what you know again that was like it was the late eighties, man. It was a different, it was a very, very different time. Uh, Wrigley was still a different place, even though it doesn't feel like that long ago, but I, I guess, and along those lines, it's kind of funny because my, my dad's mother's maiden name was Dawson. And so when my dad was doing his student teaching with his aunt, uh, who's Betty Dawson, she told the class that, that he was related to Andre Dawson, which you know a bunch of second graders so they, did, they didn't really put two and two together very well to understand that, that probably was not accurate um you know for reasons that w- that should have been obvious maybe but 
but so they're like getting his autograph. So it's funny as that comes full circle, I got my dad was in, in the hospital. Uh, he'd had uh, spinal fusion. So I got two, my, my daughter, and my dad both had spinal fusion surgeries within like a year, which is pretty cool. But I got a, I got a, um, a cameo from Andre Dawson and I got him in there and, and I, I kind of broke that down in a little story. So he, he's like, Oh, you know, hope you're doing well, cousin. And uh, it kind of broke it down that way. So it was like a cool little thing to kind of bring that uh, full circle. So it's, it's kind of neat between, uh, between that. So it's like a fun little, little joke. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Considering where you grew up, and I know that we've talked about Wu-Tang before, but considering where you grew up, how did Wu-Tang reach you? Like, what was the mechanism by which you were like, yo, these are my dudes right now and forever? So, yeah, it was. I, I'm trying to remember how... So, like, initially, I remember getting... You know, I mean, everybody had, you know, like Will Smith and, and MC Hammer, like that was very mainstream. And and I remember going somewhere and, and buying. And I'm trying to remember, was it uh, like public? It wasn't Fear of a Black Planet. I think it was um, uh, was Apocalypse. It was the enemy strikes black. It was like a public enemies follow up to, to Fear of a Black Planet, I believe. And I knew, like, I had heard about Public Enemy, and I'd seen, I was like, ooh, these guys are, and so that was, like, my first foray into something that wasn't considered, like, mainstream, at least for, for like, white America, right? Like, at the time, and, like, pop music. It was, it was definitely different. I was like, oh, this is definitely, like, Chuck D and Flava Flav, Terminator X. I'm like, these are not, this is not what I'm hearing uh from dj jazzy jeff and the fresh prince right this is something different and then so i remember then shortly afterwards the i think it was through i think it was bmg when you get the thing in the, yes. back of the parade magazine right yeah yeah like 12 12 albums for a penny you know and and i remember going through there and just looking so i got the chronic i got uh i got a a megadeth album in there too um, I got only built for Cuban links. Cause I think it was like by 94, 95. So it was a, it was a little bit after 36 chambers had, had come out. Right. Obviously is. And, and, um, I got 36 chambers and I was just, I was just checking stuff off. Like I had, I was like, oh, okay. I've, and so I had these and then I had a buddy like, oh dude, you got that Wu-Tang Clan album. Can I borrow that? And I was like, yeah, I guess. And I, and I hadn't even, and so I was like, I should probably listen to this. It's kind of a big, and so I started listening to it. And there was, I don't really know why, but it was like, it was just so different 
from anything like it just it was and I think that was for me it not only was it different from anything that I had ever heard but it was completely different from anything I had ever experienced the things that they were talking about they're saying words that that they made you know they've got their own slang right to themselves like they were like literally and they talk about you know I mean you know throwing darts at the spitting darts right and like a oh, dart is you know this is great lyric and 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 all these all these little things that were in there and the way that there were just so many of them and, the, and things were layered and it sounded grimy and dirty and and just like oh man this is like and, and i think i've this may be something i've spoken with you about before but it was this i felt as if I was being given this little window into this whole different world that I could never be a part of, that I would never really ever experience, but I could see it in my head and just feel it. And it was fun in a way too. I, there was nothing better than if nobody had ever heard that before, you know, you start playing that and they're, they're hearing Tiger style and they're like, what, 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 what am I listening to? Like, what are you playing for me here? And, and to have people it just kind of, I felt like to me, uh, and and it's, I mean, it may even tie all the way back, but it's like, I felt like that was my own thing that I could have that nobody else really around me. And my, my brother was really into it too. Um, so the two of us, and that was just such a, uh, that was a big thing. And it became a way like eventually, so my, my brother went into the Marine Corps and I think it was, I don't remember if he was at 29 Palms or where he was at, but it was like brand new. And, and obviously a very different environment and somebody started it and then he dropped the entire first verse. He dropped Dex verse on Triumph and all these other people are looking at him like, holy crap, who's this, you know, this kid from the middle of nowhere. And it was like, it was a way for him, you know, he was able to kind of get a little street cred in a way uh, from that. But, but for me, it's become this part of an identifier and, and part of my identity that I've been able to kind of express and that people have seen that back. And so it's, you know, I guess it's a shtick in a way, but like, man, I tell you what, it's the same thing. Like I'm watching the television show that got on Hulu and, and to be able to have gone to their concerts a few times now, finally, uh, it's another thing I missed out on, you know, back in the day, but it's just, I don't know, man. I, and I'm, I'm trying to get my son into it even. So even now, you know, that stuff just, it just hits me. I, I can't really completely explain it, but it's just, again, it's, it's a way I feel like that is, is, is something that as big as they are. And that's, what's been really cool though, to go to those concerts and to see other people who feel the same exact way. Right. And this is like this, this wild camaraderie. Like I struck up a friendship with people at a concert the other day because I brought up to them uh, the, the, the blend that you had brought up to me. Uh, the, um, the tribe called quest. And, yeah. Yeah. Tribe called quest and, and 36 chambers. Yeah. So if, if, if you, if you, those two albums came out on the same day, and and Midnight Marauders, the blend, it it works so beautifully. I'd love to see it go the other way. I'd love to hear Q tip on some RZA beats, but mm -hmm. it's it is I I got those albums like to just give you like I went to Tower Records back in the day. Mm -hmm. And DePaul's campus was about four blocks away from Tower Records. So my freshman year. We went and got the Chronic when it dropped, and that was an amazing experience. We go and get that album. We come back to campus. Back then, records would come out on Tuesday morning at midnight, okay? Mm -hmm. So we walk over to Tower Records. It's midnight. We get the Chronic. We bring it back. 
to the dorm. Everyone's supposed to be asleep. You're in what's called quiet hours then. My roommate, Mike Keys, I'll never forget this. He took the, the kicker box from his car. I had an, an Iowa stereo system. We hooked it up to the Iowa stereo system, put that shit on full blast, 1230 in the morning, and the entire floor was jamming. Like, no one, like, the RA wasn't called. There was no problems. Everyone was just having a really, really good time. It was an amazing moment. And then when Midnight Marauders and 36 Chambers came out, it's the same type of deal. We we go out, and the, the Midnight Marauders album is kind of, um, it's legendary because it's got all, everyone, like, the faces are on the actual album or CD. So all of your favorite like rappers are have headphones on and they took pictures for for that particular album cover and album. And you get 36 chambers. And I just remember putting it on. And it being like nothing I had ever heard before. And the beats were just so they're so powerful. And I heard Andre 3000 describe it, like the differences between regions. And his description of of New York beats has always stuck with me. He said, if you think about it, like out in the country where Outkast is from in Atlanta, there's a lot of room for melody. And, And so you see that, that there's a lot of room for melody in Southern music. He's like, New York... The beats are bouncing off the buildings. And that's what it sounds like whenever I hear Wu-Tang record. The beats are bouncing off the buildings, and they, when you had the old kicker box days and you're cranking up the, the bass, like you can feel it pounding through your chest. And then on top of it, you got nine dudes who can rap. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and they were all, but, but I th- and I think so much of that, like you can tell, these are hungry ass dudes who it's like they just came in off the street. Like not, not just like hi on the street, but like on the corner, like, all right, I'm waiting on the re-up. You know, I got to go hit the connect. once I get out of the booth when I'm done here. And, and like, they were literally like, you guys was only on like two songs. Cause he had gotten arrested part of the way through. You know what I mean? Like master killer came in part of the way through. They're just like, figuring this out like they they just and and the the way like it was this controlled chaos that that rizza and you could just tell like it felt like at any point it was like one of those things that you're watching and you're like is this just going to completely explode there's just so much manic energy going on in there and you could i, I could just you can sense it man as you're listening even now you just listen to that and you're just like, oh man it just and it's great like I, I got it. I got it on uh, vinyl, and it's just. I, I think some. It's better on vinyl. Mm. And I'm. I'm like. I. I'm not normally that guy. Like I know people are like that sounds better on vinyl. But I, but there. I don't know because there's something because there are the little the 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 scratches and pops and and that sort of thing. And I think that kind of comes through, and and speaks to because it's not clean. It's not like it's produced very well, but it's not slick and overproduced like it's it's supposed to be gritty it's supposed to punch you in the face and and, and just make you feel something that's you know so i i think that's just 
I love that. And it's, you know, like as a teenager, you know, when you're trying to find your way and, and, you know, you, you kind of feel that same way, like emotions are weird, man. And you're just in this odd place and like all this stuff's bouncing off the wall. And I'm like, Hey, all right, this is like, this is kind of the same thing. I, I kind of dig this. Like, I don't know exactly what these guys are talking about, but I love it. <laughs> I want to, I want to talk about Cubs insider a little bit. What's the Genesis like, how do we get from what you're doing now? Because it's it's a little bit of everything. Like, it's it's scouting stuff. It's you guys talking about whatever is happening with the Cubs or baseball at large. It's you writing. It's you emoting sometimes in your writing about what's going on with the team. Where did the brainchild start, and how did you get it to where it is now? Yeah, it's uh, it's – it's really interesting, right? Because, and I, and I guess, so this probably goes back. I, I should have come up with this answer before when you asked me what my parents said, but, but I was, you know, I was always taught don't complain about something unless you're willing to, to come up with a solution, unless you're willing to fix it yourself. Right. And so back, and I guess this would have been 2010, 11 ish. Uh, Yahoo had this thing called the Yahoo contributor network. And you could just have, just a random person, you know, you could sign up with them and you'd have to submit a little bit of work, but they would, and you could pick uh, at first you could pick a team, right. You could write about it, but you could go read these contributor things. And if, and, and since the Cubs were an interest of mine, right, that would pop up in my feed and I'd see this stuff on there and I would read these contributor pieces. And, uh, and I found myself going on there and, and starting to comment negatively uh, toward one of these. And, and then I, you know, I caught myself and realized what are you doing? Like, what good is that going to do to comment negatively about the content of this piece? If you don't like it, sign up yourself. Like, don't be a punk, sign up and go do it. And so I did. And, uh, and they, and they got me on there to do it. And eventually I started doing that and I got to pick up, uh, some extra, I wrote about the bears and, and Notre Dame football. And so that was going on for a while. And, uh, and then they shut that, that network down. You actually get paid a little bit for it. So that was neat, but it was like by page views. Right. So you'd, find a lot of people out there who would write some uh again go back to journalistic integrity right well if your goal was simply to get paid by the click it's not about integrity it's about trying to find some headline that people will click right and i don't want to even call it clickbait but that's essentially what they were trying to drive well that that eventually went away and then um uh, tom loxus who had who had previously had a, a blog i think called the loxus factor and so he wanted to start this one called cubs insider on chicago now which is a blog network that I don't know if it's still around. I think it is, but it was owned by uh, the Chicago Tribune. And so he was, he was looking for somebody and I had put something out on social media. You know, I had like 50 followers or whatever. Like, Hey, uh, if anybody looking for somebody to write about the Cubs, man, I got, I got nothing to do. So he and I hooked up on that. We started out and then um, we decided to kind of go out on our own because there was no way to monetize on Chicago now. Uh, right the Tribune use that and I think they could sell ads on that obviously we saw none of it uh, other than I did I did get nominated for uh, like an award one time on a post I wrote about Ron Santo and Tony Gwynn interesting enough about like uh, when 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 Gwynn passed away and then when you know Santo had died and about how you feel about these guys that, like you never met right and how how can we be emotional about these people that we've established these relationships right that goes back to some of our earlier conversation here but uh but Tom eventually had just too much other stuff going on with work. He wasn't able to make it go anymore. So I 
kind of just took over by myself and was continuing to uh to do that for a couple years and then um fast forward to 2016 i'm heading out to game one of the world series uh john Verlice slash i guess I should maybe call him john strong because john strong is his pen name now sorry john i just doxed you um but uh <laughs> he was running a site called cubs kingdom he was like hey i'm gonna be out in cleveland if anybody wants to i was like yeah man i'll be out there so we hung out and um you know had a few drinks and and started talking about hey why don't we just combine forces that would really help he's got more of a business mind um you know come from that business background i handled the editorial stuff and so by being able to do that that's the point at which we we kind of relaunched the site changed the whole look and feel and started to reach out to some other folks um you know todd johnson uh who does a lot of the minor league stuff and and there's been a lot of folks who have come and gone so i don't want to i should stop naming names just because I'm not going to be able to get everybody. Um, Brendan Miller and Corey Friedman are two, though, that I will bring up because uh, they've got the Cubs-related podcast, and they, they came on really early to add, and Brendan does a lot of analytical stuff that really helped me. So, like, it's been tremendous for me because not only are we bringing folks in or, or we, we're finding people who want to want to cover these things, but I'm able to learn because I'm I'm editing, you know, 90% of what goes through there unless I'm I'm tied up. And so the knowledge that I've gained from that has been tremendous and i think it's uh it's the one thing that i've always tried to do and it and it goes back to to me whether it's whether we want to say it's wu-tang clan and in, in particular hip-hop in general is that 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 stuff's not you know i know people who i think would would don't really understand it don't know this but i mean there are stories these, these guys are telling stories of their lives it's not just you know, they're, they're talking about things that have happened to them, who they are. You know who these people are if you listen to their music. And I've always said, I want people to know who I am by the way I write. I don't want to just lay something down and, you know, every once in a while, okay, hey, cool. Like the, the Cubs traded for Harold Ramirez. Okay, I'm probably not going to have a whole lot of personality in that one, right? You're probably not going to know much about me, but I want to put in an anecdote, man, or I, I want to tell a stupid joke or have a weird little sarcastic twist that if you don't know me, you're probably looking at that going like, what is this idiot? Why is he writing this? But if, if you stick around long enough, you're going to figure something out and you're going to get to know me, even if you haven't met me and, 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 and kind of vice versa. Like I'm sharing that. That's, that's my kind of side to it, you know, and I, and I want to have that to be like, I totally get it, man. People might not like it. And, uh, and there's going to be weird pop culture drops that I'm just going to put in there for probably no reason other than the fact that I think it's funny. You know, and I'm not out there trying to appeal to the masses necessarily, although, man, I'd love for millions of people every month to read it because uh, that'd be pretty cool. And um, and it's, it's kind of fulfilling in that sense. But by and large, man, I mean, when, when I started out before prior to 2016, you know, we had ads on there. We would go through like the Google AdSense and I'm like legit. It might make two bucks a day. You know, there might be a couple hundred people on there and I was doing it for uh is a side hustle still is but you know two two bucks isn't a, isn't a whole lot you know what i mean and i was like man this is uh but I, I you know again i think my wife will say like I, I like i have to i'm kind of compelled to do that but that's my creative outlet that's what gets out there and uh and it's just a lot of fun you know and and i love like i absolutely love taking something that might happen like 
uh, the the Franco extension that just got signed, and then looking at that and going like, okay, that's cool, but what what are like what's behind that? Like, what is what does that mean? If, or if Jed Hoyer kind of says something where they're looking at this, or there's this thing that happened, like, what are the, what could be the motivations behind that? What else might that indicate moving forward? And I just love digging into that stuff and kind of having my own platform to like have a stream of consciousness that I can sort of just work through things on my own. And and at the end of the day, it's it's cool that other people might want to read it from time to time. Do you think that interest in the granular stuff of baseball for you in particular, did it happen organically or was it a reflection of what Cubs fans were telling you they wanted on Insider? Um, I, I think it's probably, I don't know if it's, if it's either, or if it's, it's probably both. I think it's, you know, cause sometimes you're guided by, and it's always kind of funny. I don't want to say you're guided by what, what sells or what, what views, right. Because so often the stuff that gets the most views is just some like people love rumors. You know what I mean? So if it's trade rumors, if it's off season stuff, like I could slap something together in 30 seconds and throw it out there. And that'll do better than the things that I spend the time on. Um, but but I think for me, a lot of that's my my personality. Like I, I was trying to put together a, a, a Disney and Universal trip, man. I put together like a spreadsheet. I, seriously, I spent like four hours yesterday breaking down all like, okay, this many days in this one. Or what if we stay at this Airbnb? Or what if we stay at this resort? Or what if we mix these two? How, you know, so I love that granular stuff. And like, it, it's like putting together a puzzle and uh, and I think that's something that the fans, especially now that we've got all this access, like we're on, on Twitter and people kind of find this stuff a little more easily. Um, it, it's just it's been really fun for me to kind of work through that. But I think that people want to see some of those things. They want to know, like you could go on and read a news blurb. Or you can read a breaking news piece on Twitter. You could see something, a headline on Facebook or whatever. But you know, I'm, I'm probably going to go into at least 600 words on each of those and maybe more. And so that's what I think. And not, not everybody's going to be like that. So hopefully, and that's why I like having other people who are on there. Cause I'm like, dude, I would love to be able to just knock out like 200 words on something and just put it out there. But I, I can't, my brain doesn't work that way. And so I think a lot of that is like, people kind of do come to that uh, for it. Cause I'm just, I'm basically just trying to talk my thoughts out. And, uh, and I think other people, people who will come to the site and kind of frequent it, like it for that. And then occasionally, you know, we do hopefully have enough other stuff for them that we can break it down in a little shorter form. So they're not, uh, they're not slogging through my stuff all the time, but it's, uh, it's really, really been cool to see though, how much progress there's been in, in terms of just the data and everything we have in baseball now that you can find exactly what you're looking for. And if you can't find it immediately, like there's somebody else out there who can help you find it. And so you can kind of bounce things off and cross-reference. And, and it's just, it's really fun how much data and information is out there that you can consume, uh, you know, if you want to. Obviously, if you, if you don't want to, you can leave that stuff alone. But I've had a lot of fun with it. What are the differences and the similarities between Cubs Convention? And a Wu-Tang concert. <laughs> well, let's see. 
<laughs> Man, I guess it depends. Um, I would say that definitely the the shared affection for the subject at hand is going to be similar. Um, you know, it's it's the one thing I will say. Like <laughs> Cubs convention is a little bit more. Uh, there's a lot more of the Pollyanna kind of the the folks that have I, I don't know that they uh that it's, it's it's an interesting crowd i'll definitely say that uh, um but it's you know what's weird though is there is at both of them oddly enough like even you go to a wu-tang concert and every time i've been to one there's still this like super chill vibe with all these people like a lot of them like we went my brother and i went to this one in, in louisville and it was this brand new venue that had just opened up. It was like a general admission. And there were like maybe 2,000 people there. And actually, I went, I just saw him in Chicago at Concord Music Hall. And that place is tiny. Man, I mean, you're, you're packed in there. But again, I'm striking up conversations with people. We, we met there a couple of dudes at the one in Louisville. And I was like, oh, they got their, their you know, they got their biker, their cuts on. We're going to go make friends with these dudes because we're going to be up near the front. I was like, just in case those dudes look like badasses. And so we're going to, and it, and it ended up like the, they were uh, military vets. My brother's a, a Marine Corps veteran. The, the one guy uh, was at a base in Iraq and when he was with the army and they were leaving just as the Marines were coming in. So like very possibly these two could have passed each other on the road uh, somewhere. And I, and I can't, uh, I think it was, it was Al-Assad uh, that I believe was the air base there, I believe anyway. Um, but, but then those guys are like Facebook friends of mine now. And like the one just had a daughter and, and I sent him some baby gifts. So it's just like, I've made friends through that. And the same thing at Cubs convention, you go up and then you're seeing all these people who you have this shared, like you can sit down and then talk with them about anything because you know that you've had similar experiences. Even if you grew up in wildly different circumstances, you've got this bond immediately. There's no need to like small talk it. You just bam right into it. And like, Oh man, what are they, I hope they're going to play this one. If they're going to play this song. And I was like, well, actually I was at the last one. Here's how the set list goes and whatever. And then, Oh, that's great. So uh, yeah, it's cool in that regard, except, you know, one of them, you know, exactly what, uh, what you're going to get. And, uh, and, and, you know, like you can play all the greatest hits and stick with that. Whereas the other one, you're like, who are they going to sign? Why is this not going on? What are you, you know, you're not going to be booing Marquee next year. Boo. Um, <laughs> so I would say the, the leaders, you know, the leadership is, uh, is a little bit, there's no, there's nobody from, nobody from loud records is coming out and talking to you about it. You know what I mean? There's, there's none of that. We don't have to worry about those things. So, um, but it is, it is a, it is a cool experience, man. I'm looking forward to it. I got another, I got another show coming up in a couple weeks. So very stoked. Good. Good. You talked about, you, you know, your, your mom and your dad, your grandpa, and you brought up your kids. You've been very public in your, your daughter's triumphs. What type of strength have you drawn from her? It's, uh, that, that's been, it's been so interesting now, you know, because now it's funny because it's been a couple of years. It's, uh, it's been coming up on, it was December 2nd of 19 um so we're, we're closing in on two years out from her from her initial uh fusion surgery and and it's been i was just thinking about this the other day because 
and now she's a teenager, right? So she's, she was, I guess she was at the time. Um, but now she's like 15. And so I'm kind of an idiot um, to, to her, right? And I, you know, maybe affectionately, but um, so it's a little bit weird, but, but my wife spent most of the time out there with her. And so I was home and it was just my son and I here. And so it's been very interesting to see that dynamic. But I think to see the way she handled that and pretty much just like, outside of a few times when and and there were there were times like seeing your child in that situation um because she had to go through initially she had to have the the halo implanted in, in her skull and then she had the other two surgeries and so the the pain that she went through and and this is in spite of the pain meds and, and she doesn't remember any of it thank god uh but there were times i mean she was she was say she was like saying i i want to die this is so bad i would i would rather be dead and to to hear that like that was to you know that's tough for me to even repeat now you know what i mean and so to see that but then to see her go through those things and and come out on the on the other end and and then even now like there's still things she's gonna you know things aren't normal she's not shaped normally now right they had to reconfigure her spine it's better for everything else but so she's just kind of rolling through that and and for her to though be able to push through i mean you're talking about all that stuff and then she's walking within you know still the next day or the you know the day after and, and then being discharged like three days after that surgery and to have to go through that is uh man that's that's something I would not have expected, although at the same time, like I had uh, not to that extent, although I've had, um, I had two different kidney surgeries when I was one, when I was an infant, one when I was three and a half, two and a half, I think. Um, and so I know what my parents went through during that time when you just, you're, you're just helpless, right? So I got to trust that these doctors know what they're doing. Um, and, and that, that everything's going to be okay. Cause I cannot tell you how many times during that eight week period that I thought, you know, maybe we just don't do this. Maybe everything will be fine if she just doesn't do this. Because like you're going, if she's going to, they're going to wheel her into surgery. She's going to be in there for eight hours. And then a week later, she's going back in. I was like, I don't want them to do that. I don't, I don't want to have to have her go through that. Maybe I can help her avoid that pain, but then to have to let go of that and say, no, this is what's best. And sometimes the things that are best in the end aren't what feels like they're the best right now. Mm -hmm. um, and then to see her be able to push through that and just be able to handle it, uh, even at times when she absolutely was was over it. You know what I mean? And for her to push through that, like that's a long ass time, man. And I know other people have, have certainly spent time in hospitals. And I, I, I just, to live in a hospital for two months when... For all intents and purposes, you're healthy otherwise, but you got to live out there. And in St. Louis, of all places, right? Like, that's probably the toughest part. It's having to be in, in, in St. Louis, which is uh, boring enough as it is, even when you're there, like, for normal purposes, let alone having to be in a hospital. Um, <laughs> got to play up to the audience here, maybe. We Chris, got, we got Chris Bryant Chicago. endorses exactly right. what she said. Yeah, Exactly. KB knows what's up. I mean, and he, he only got to be there for, like, three or four days at a time. But it was. It was like it's just far enough away that's not like we just pop over there 
you know what I mean? And so like my wife put everything on hold and, and took off and, you know, I was still doing that, but it was just, uh, it was just tough at the time. And now we kind of put it behind and it's like, Oh, okay. That, that happened. Um, and now to see her basically just up and, and Adam, the only thing she's like, she's got to do swimming for gym class. And she's, she's like, I can swim great on my back. Cause I don't have to like, bend and twist and do all that stuff she's like but i gotta wear this stupid floaty belt when i swim in my stomach because i just can't float real well and the teacher doesn't know that but it's like but she's got a good sense of humor about it she's just awesome with it and um and she's just out there like taking charge of everything and uh and just you know the fact that she didn't fall behind in the least with any of her schoolwork or anything else and just kept pushing and is you know top of her class and everything it just it's been really cool to see that and and to ideally you know at the end of the day we've been able to leverage that for a lot of good things and and raise a lot of money for some other kids who are going through similar situations so um you know i think again man even the worst stuff a lot of good can come out of it my dude i appreciate your time and your candor and i love the work you do i really do like i you're you're one of the first places i go when there's cub stuff going on because you know the breaking news aspect of it the transactional stuff is whatever I want to understand what's happening. And I think that the Cubs insider does a really good job of this is why you should care about this. Like it's, it's very clear. Like in the way that, that you guys present stuff is this is why it matters. This is what's happening. And I think that there need to be more places where that type of analysis is available. So I, I salute you, man. I, I think you do a wonderful job, and I'm I'm so happy that you're out here making your own way. There's something that's very romantic about you making your own way and taking this passion that you have for the Cubs and turning it into something. It's it's a wonderful thing. I I, I appreciate hearing that. You know what I mean? And uh, like I said, I, I would. I did do this basically for free or for, you know, really at a cost uh, for a long time. Sure. And, uh, and still, you know, it's not like it's one of these things that's uh, some kind of a, a cash cow, you know, outside of the private jet that I lease you know, with my, <laughs> with my excess money, uh, you know, beyond that though, it's really, but, it, but it is, it is, it's, it's a, um, it's a passion project, you know, or, or whatever you want to call it. But uh, to me, the coolest thing that has come out of it is those relationships. And, and I feel like in a way, like, I don't want to overplay my hand here, but I feel like I've sort of become, you know, as I said, like I grew up watching these people on television and feeling like they were my friends or they were somebody I could relate to because I saw them on TV. And now in a way, like I am someone and, and you are this way, for your show because i know there's so much of yourself that you put into that and your show has everybody should but you are you on the radio and, and people feel like they get who you are they know you from your show which is a little scary sometimes because then people can feel like they're a little too familiar yes maybe right like that's a little bit weird um but it's been neat because then i'll, I'll be at cubs convention or whatever and i might meet someone who i've who i've known through twitter who's followed the site or whatever or, or I've been recognized, like, I, and I don't want to run this too far, but one thing I, I did want to share one thing that was really cool. We went to a South Bend Cubs game. I went with my family, 
and and we got to see uh, Max Bain was the pitcher that day. He's Cubs prospect, and we'd written about him a little bit, and he's been on my other my little podcast that I do. And as I'm walking up, I'm just going to grab a beer, and I hear my name, and I look over, and it's a, it's a woman coming up, and I figure, oh, she reads the site or whatever. Well, it's, it's Max's mother, and she came up and introduced herself, and she said, I just wanted to thank you for just the things you've written about Max and the way you've covered him. And it, and it really like, it hit me. I was like, Holy crap. Like this sounds stupid. Like, but it, you have that realization that people are reading what you do or listening mm-hmm. to what you do and it, and it, it affects them and they have a relationship with that. And, and that the things that I might do can impact things, uh, other people in a positive way, maybe in a negative way too. So I, I gotta, I gotta watch it. Maybe there's some people who would say the opposite thing, but it's just really neat to um to know that something that i wrote impacted someone and and you know that they felt positively about it and they wanted to come talk to me about it so that's been really cool man and i'm kind of like i feel like i'm in that same place where people will feel like they know me from what they what they read or from from listening to a podcast or from listening to this and uh well this is a podcast but from one of them that i might run myself and that's the coolest thing to me. That's what I want at the end of the day um, is just to, to hopefully brighten up somebody's life a little bit, maybe make it a little more interesting. Who knows? And then, uh, you know, we can all be friends, but not too, not too close to friends. I don't want you just coming up to me. Right. Let's, let's I ta- listen to it earlier. Right. I want to, I want to lay back in the cut just a little bit. So if you approach me, just be, be careful. I'm on my guard. Dude, you are the best. <laughs> I appreciate the time. Uh, thanks so much for doing this for me. Uh, no problem, man. Anytime. I, I appreciate you having me on. So as you can see, the two of us have rapport, and I really just enjoy Like He's the type of dude. This is how I imagine it. In different times, if we weren't in COVID times, and if we ever get out of COVID times, he's one of the people that, are, that in your adult life, like you meet, and you're like, I should hang out with that person. And you start thinking about, like, how your friendships form. And, and I, I, there are two people who I'm like that with, like, as a grown-up now. Anthony Heron is one of them, and Evan Altman is another. Now, I've actually had a chance, like, socially to hang out with Anthony Heron a little bit because we live close to each other. But once, once we get through the COVID stuff or maybe if summer comes around and we're still in it, we'll meet up outside like in Maryville or something and hang out. Cause I just dig his vibe. And I'm that part where he's sitting here talking about being in the background. That's me. I'm like that too. I am often forced into the foreground because of what I do for a living but I'm I'm the same way. Like I'm a fall back dude. So I I catch his vibe and his his uh well, seven oh two we say there's his stilo. I check his stilo because it's very similar to mine. But you should definitely go to Cubs Insider and check out what it is that he's doing. If you're you're someone who just likes baseball and the granular level with which Cubs Insider goes in and tries to figure out what's going on with the team, the franchise, and with baseball in general. Obviously, during the lockout, 
is going to be different. But if you want to catch up and you want to learn about this franchise and all the changes that they made before the lockout, Evan is on top of it, for real, for real. So I thank him sincerely for, for being on the podcast. Maybe I'll do a whole pod about that, like adult friendships, you know? Like maybe that's something that I should I should discuss. Like we should do like a whole episode on that. Or maybe it's something that is better like crowdsource on the radio show, but perhaps the pod might be the place for that. Men especially, I think women do friendships better than men do as adults. But we'll see. We'll see. Maybe I can work through some of my stuff right here. As always, I appreciate your time. Everything that we do on House of L is dope. The Sports Adjacent Podcast is incredible. Please, please, please go listen to the latest episode, episode 40. It's great. And Tony Gill was on there being very sweet. And I like that. I really like that. So go listen to it. He's also a goofball, but you already knew that. I will talk to you next time. Thank you so much. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.